driving it home. Patty Vasquez, Patty Vasquez. From global conflicts to greenhouse gases, the folks refusing to wear masks says, and politicians getting caught grabbing asses says, she's driving it home with Patty Vasquez. This is a first for me, you guys. I am so thrilled to be broadcasting from the National Museum of Mexican Art in Chicago, one of Chicago's greatest neighborhoods, Pilsen. And uh, I am here to celebrate with our wonderful organization called Yolokali, which is a youth program which is associated with the National Museum of Mexican Art. And I, I know tonight they are honoring so many of their organizers and people who've been volunteering. So it's an honor to be here. And throughout the show, we will be interviewing uh, some of the board and award recipients from this organization that strives to help children uh, be safe and lead happy, healthy, safe lives. And you know that's a goal of many of the missions of the organizations that we work with, and I'm so proud to partner with them. This evening, I'll be hosting their program uh, later on tonight, and uh, I am in one of their galleries, and I am surrounded by some of the the great Mexican-American and Mexican art, uh, and some of the greatest art in the world. And so I'm I'm kind of humbled to be here, Uh, and thank you so much to W. CPT for making this happen, and uh, I want to thank Jay Doherty for uh, for inviting me and uh, and encouraging us to have this partnership. So uh, I'm kind of I'm a little bit overwhelmed because even as a child, my mom used to. Um, I have many memories of uh, coming to Pilsen and uh, and eating at some of the great restaurants and visiting this museum. And uh, I, I you know I don't know why I haven't broadcasted from here before, but it will certainly not be the last time. If you've uh, ever had the opportunity to check this place out or have never been here, a comeback. And they're always changing their the uh, the exhibits and uh, and the programs that they have. I have uh, in the past uh, performed here. I performed Mamacita Tales of a Diaper Diva. They have a great theater space here, and I. Um, it's so weird to say this, but I was honored uh, several years ago with the Sor Juana Award for my contributions to arts uh, in Chicago. So it's very uh, humbling to be here again. And uh, there's a lot going on in the news, so let's get to it. If, uh, if, you've got, if you've got anything in your mind you want to talk about, we have the first half hour open. The phone lines are open. I've got the text screen open, 773-763-9278. And I'm sure some folks want to talk about how the Republicans were stomping their feet and, and whining in the hallways uh, about how they were they were silenced uh, that uh, that Dick Durbin does not want to let women talk because he, even though we could have debated this in the first round and in the second round, uh, I believe uh, according, according to the rules uh, that have been established uh, they don't have to hold the third debate and if they didn't want to bother showing up the first few times, at least that is my understanding, then, uh, then it was within his rights uh, as the uh, chair of the committee to uh, move things along and order the subpoenas of the, uh, the, the uber-wealthy purchasers of Supreme Court justices, uh, such as Harlan Crow and Leo Leonard. So I'm curious to see what your thoughts are on that. So if you want to give us a call, 773-763-9278. In Chicago, uh, one of the things that I'm, I'm kind of following today 
today is the story regarding the new rules at City Hall. Now, they're saying that this is just a proposal, I guess. So the Sergeant at Arms is trying to figure out a way to manage the some, sometimes unruly audiences that come to City Hall. And and they've had to, uh, in, the, in the last month, I don't know if you remember, there was a, you know, the way they're framing this, though, and even in the media, was that uh, they had to turn the lights off and shut everything down. Well, that was also an internal fight amongst uh, the floor leader and other uh, alder people. But what they want to do now is they want to have a, a, almost a VIP section. Essentially, you know, if you have an invitation from your alder person or if they want to bring their family members or uh, distinguished members of the community, I do not think, and this is just having read over this and, and trying to uh, assess what the plan is, I don't think there should be a VIP section in our uh, in the halls of our government. If it's open to the public, it is open to the public. If it's capacity, that's one thing. But it is not like, oh, this is where the constituents that we like get to sit because that is a big problem. And I I, I can imagine if we had that here and in Springfield. Uh, well, first of all, I, I would I would <laughs> I would I would my own legislators would not uh, want me to be in the gallery. Fortunately, I was telling my husband, you know, I, I fortunately know enough legislators and electeds where if I if I wanted to, uh, if I need if I said, hey, can you get me a seat in the, you know, in the in the in the good in the good you know gallery, uh, hook me up. But it should not be like that. It shouldn't be who you know or who you're related to. The fact that people have a gripe with their electeds and want to be heard, uh, maybe figure out a way to to manage that. You know, in uh, with Springfield there are committee hearings and and there are protests in the in the rotunda and there are and of course in City Hall we often have protests. But I don't think that I'm <laughs> chafing at the idea of a VIP section. Uh, we want to take a call from Jim in Chicago. Hey, Jim, what's on your mind, my friend? Hi, Jerry. Uh, my late wife's uh, uncle had a little bit of money. He threw some dough in that museum. I've been down there with her. It's beautiful. Anyway, it really is. I was going to mention yeah, the reluctance of the Republican Party for vaccinations. Now, I had the polio vaccination under Eisenhower. I don't remember him preaching about the vaccination. I recall working when uh, Gerald Ford had the first vaccinations for flu. I didn't hear anybody briefing about that. But you look at the conglomerations of disease right now. You've got a respiratory for children. This COVID is still going pretty strong. And uh, the flu, of course, and yet they're still arguing about uh, medicine. What is the, what advantage? What do you think your advantage is in that, Patty? I, I don't understand what they're getting at. Well, you know, I, I I had an issue with this. You know, when my son was born, was right in the middle of uh, the vaccines cause autism lies, right? It has been verified. It's been proven. It's quantifiably proven that a guy in England essentially spread these lies. And then that coupled with uh, at a, a medical conference, there was a question raised. Is it possible that there's a connection, right? And then everybody was off to the races. And you had wealthy, high-profile people, you know, Oprah was would often have Jenny McCarthy on to talk about how she believed her son had autism because of vaccinations. And all of a sudden, and there was a book written about how Jenny McCarthy alone 
not just, I mean, not alone, but essentially that energy set back the medical industry 10 years of trying to catch up with people who were going to refuse to have their kids vaccinated. So you have an overlapping, you know, you have people who are scared and, and it, it was already brewing a little bit uh, under the surface for the last few years. And then with COVID, you know, it was a, it was, it was a perfect storm, I think. Uh, and so now, and questioning science has been like the way to make people scared. It's better. It's easier to, to, to believe in magical thinking than it is in card, cold, hard science. You know, you're exactly right there. Anyway, that's a lovely spot there. And have a good night. Good night, Kitty. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. I appreciate it. Let's uh, let's take a quick break here. Uh, when we come back, uh, <laughs> my husband is sending me a bunch of gifts about uh, whether or not I would be allowed to be in the VIP section. I'm guessing that's for Springfield, only because my, my own two electeds uh, <laughs> both run when they see me, which, you know, it's not a, it's not a bad feeling to have your your legislators go, oh, my God, she's back. You know, that's the thing. Be a pain in their in their butts if, if things are not the way they should be. Hold them accountable. Make them wince when they see you. Uh, you look, everyone likes to be welcomed. Uh, but those of us who rock the boat uh, definitely deserve, uh, as they were talking about in the last hour with Joan and Santita and talking about when you uh, when you ask for things, when you ask for what your fair wages are or what you, the right treatment is. Uh, yeah, people don't people don't like to be called out. And uh, and believe me, I've been in situations where I haven't been able to, and uh, I'm now at that age where pff, zero F's given. Let's take a quick break here. Oh, want to thank our sponsors. Thank you to our friend Kirk Banks at Monaco Brewing Company, and really proud of all the work we've been doing, including our segments on the right-wing war on public education. You can follow Monaco Brewing Company and see some snippets of that, the videos from that as well. So I encourage you to follow him on Facebook and on, on Instagram as well. And uh, visit the website. If you go to Patty Vasquez, show page on Facebook. You can find out where you can pick up a Monaco brew or a choice hard seltzer wine, maybe some woke coffee. And uh, and they have soda now. So there's something for everybody. Uh, so go to the Patty Vasquez show page and find out where you can pick up some products in the Chicagoland area. And thank you to Warren Price over at European U.S. Collision Center at 4080 North Broadway. If you give them a call, if you're if you're in an automobile accident, you, make sure you have a pen and paper. Make sure that you're safe. And when, the, uh, when you have gotten to a a location where you can safely call him at 773-248-1200. And of course, we want to thank our friends at Kids Above All. Right now, they've got a toy drive going on and uh, help them make sure that kids have some magic this holiday season. Go to kidsaboveall.org. More in a moment from the National Museum of Mexican Art in Pilsen. This is Patty Vasquez, and we are driving it home till 7. Hi, this is Kirk Bankstead from the Manaqua Brewing Company, and I sell Choice Hard Seltzer, an all-natural grapefruit-flavored booze that you can enjoy for only 100 calories a can. Percentage of the proceeds of every can of Choice Hard Seltzer you buy goes to reproductive rights organizations in the Chicagoland area. Enjoy a light, refreshing hard seltzer this summer and support reproductive freedom at the same time. Buy yours at Beer on the Wall, Arlington Heights, Woodman's in Bloomingdale, Kenwood Liquors in Homer Glen, and more to come. Must be 21. Please drink responsibly. Patty Vasquez is taking your calls now. At 773-763-9278. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Now on WCPT 820. And we are broadcasting from the National Museum of Mexican Art in Pilsen, one of the great neighborhoods in Chicago. Yes, that's right. I've gotten out of the off the out of the northwest side. And speaking of which, I do want to remind folks that there are some great holiday events going on all over the Chicagoland area. Uh, today was so beautiful. I 
actually, for the first time ever, and a coworker was laughing at me this morning, uh, for the first time ever, I walked to the, the, the Kindle market, the Chris Kindle market, uh, right there at Daily Plaza. I had never been there before. Uh, I know it sounds strange, uh, but just for whatever reason, uh, I've never gone. It was a beautiful day, and I, I didn't get to buy anything. I was on my way to a therapy session for Declan, who is continuing to work uh, toward walking uh, independently again. And so uh, on my walk to the Shirley Ryan Ability Labs, I stopped at the Chris Kindle Market. I did not get, like, that boot. I don't know. I think they put uh, grog in that boot. I don't know. I'll have to go back and, and uh, enjoy it. But it was really festive. And this weekend, the uh, Jefferson, Jefferson Park Forward and I believe Six Corners have partnered. The Jefferson Park Chamber of Commerce have a great uh, small business events going on. And they'll have a trolley so you can shop all along uh, Milwaukee Avenue going down to Irving. Uh, a lot of great shops uh, will be uh, having all kinds of specials and sales. And uh, I really encourage you guys to, to hop on the trolley on the northwest side and discover some of the great locations, restaurants, and uh, like places like Rep. Chicago. I have a, a purse that is in the. Uh, it, it's by a designer who makes all like Chicago-based art with reclaimed materials, and I absolutely love my purse. Everywhere I go, people ask me about it. It looks like one is the uh, the traditional colors of the Chicago flag and the stars, the blue and the blue stripes, and uh, it's white and sparkly. And I also have a, one all black and gray and uh, silver, which people love as well. And I always tell them to go to Replica Chicago. Uh, it's Repchai uh, on Milwaukee Avenue near Montreal. And uh, you can grab a pint across the street at Babes, or you can. Uh, I'm sure that the, the the trolley will be going to places like Weston's and Percolator Sunnyside Plants. Uh, I know I'm going to miss somebody, so I shouldn't try to name them off the top of my head. But I will. Uh, I'll, I'll make sure we post something on the Patty Basket Show page, so you have all those locations. And if you have a holiday event going on this weekend that you want us to know about, give us a call. You can call or text at 773-763-9278. And again, it's the you can go to the Jefferson Park Forward uh, Facebook page. I think that's public, but uh, I'm sure that there are plenty of places to find out about the uh, the holiday trolley uh, for this year. They're going to be, oh, Rex Tavern has the best holiday cocktails, you guys. And if you stop by there, uh, tell uh, tell Jennifer and Ginger and the whole crew there that uh, Patty and Jerry sent you. <laughs> They'll know who you're talking about, I assure you. Um, you can go to sixcorners.com. That's sixcorners.com, and they have all the information about the Northwest Side Holiday Trolley and all the stops that they'll be uh, taking you on. Oh, and including our Tata's Tacos is on the stops. Aris Brewery and Cider House. Uh, they're going to be stopping at, uh, there's going to be a craft fair. And there's going to be a tree lighting at Portage Park. They'll stop at Distinct Bath and Body. Oh, you got, this is all my favorite places, you guys. Junebug, Tone Deaf Records. Uh, they'll, they'll be stopping at uh, Schoolhouse Kitchen and Studio, of course. We know our friends Cheryl and, and her whole crew over there. Uh, Triple R gallery, which has Okay, you guys, I'm sorry. You have to get on this trolley on Saturday and go to all these great locations uh, on the northwest side. And on Sunday, we will be having the Jefferson Park Sunday Market. We'll be at the Copernicus Center indoors at the Annex. And again, some great uh, some great items to, to purchase for the holidays, some produce and locally made goods. I know that our friends from Hillary's Bakery is gonna, are going to be there. Uh, Distinct Bath and Body again. Meryl will be in tomorrow to talk about that. And tomorrow night, I just booked our friend uh, 
the movie guy is going to be in tomorrow. Brady's going to be in to uh, talk about holiday movies and new releases. So that will be our, our show tomorrow. Coming up on the rest of the show today, uh, we are going to be talking to a lot of the fo- many of the folks who are in, um, involved in Yolo Kali. We'll talk more about the National Museum of Mexican Art. Um, but I, uh, I know we've got a couple minutes left here, so if there's a topic you want to jump on. And oh, this is also a very good time to tell you that if you are starting to lose the signal, I know when the sun goes down, uh, the signal starts to waver a little bit in the wintertime. So please uh, consider switching over to a digital listening device, whether on your phone, you can listen to us on TuneIn. We also are live on the heartlandsignal.com website. So if you go to heartlandsignal.com, you'll see a tab there that says listen now or listen live. And uh, you can ju- you can join us there. And this is a couple ways. Oh, and of course, as always, the uh, Facebook live stream. Oh, wait, I'm not in studio. Right, Alejandro, are we doing? I'll have to ask Alejandro if we're doing the live stream. We might not be, but generally, we are live streaming. And are we are we live streaming still? Not today. So not today uh, because I am, I, I'm not in the studio. So we will make sure that uh, we, we're trying to work on that. So when I'm uh, broadcasting remotely, uh, we have the opportunity to also uh, join you by live stream wherever we are. Because I would love to be able to show you how beautiful it is in this uh, in this wing of the National, National Museum of Mexican Art. They have me in here kind of all by myself. To, and, and the door is locked. So people keep like standing outside the door and looking at me like I'm an exhibit. <laughs> I feel like one of those... Uh, live. Hello, how you doing, Carla? You're going first. You want to here? You can you can sit down now as long as you're since you're here. Put these on. Um, we're live right now, so come on, sit down. Because uh, I I told a listener that I had a surprise for her, so we'll tease uh, your surprise. How does that sound? Let me move this microphone a little bit this way. This is a microphone right there. Okay. Hey, hold on a second. How does that sound, Carlos? Can you hear me? I can hear you, you fine. You can turn and look to me. Move okay. your chair. <laughs> There's nothing to see there. I'm a my, tonto. My, 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 <laughs> uh, it's Carlos. Am I saying Tortolero. Right? Tortolero. Yeah. Tortolero. I'll get yes, it. Yeah, right. So one of my listeners here, I can show you. So this is my live screen. This is, this is where we listeners can, uh, can, can converse with me. Uh, saludos to my, far, my former Latin American history teacher, Mr. T. Who is that? that her name is Mirna, and she says, uh, I said I had a surprise for you, for her. So there you go. What's your last name? I had several uh, words. I don't. I <laughs> Uh, turn his volume up a little bit. Let's see. How's that? Let me hear. Let me see how you sound. Hi, Myrna. I had several Myrnas. There you go. But I'm trying to think which Myrna. Well, during the break, maybe Myrna will uh, give us a hint and, okay. and uh, we'll find out. Where did you teach? Bowen High School, south east side of Chicago. You taught at Bowen High School. What uh, Was there a specialty or it was general history? History. history. So well, what, I taught Latin American history. I taught Mexican history. I taught U.S. history. taught it bilingually as well. All right. Because yeah. I went to Lane Tech. And I did too. Did you really? But I went to Lane Tech when there were no girls. There were no girls. And I went to Lane Tech when it was like a Nazi school. Everybody's going to Lane Tech since they let girls come in. <laughs> Love the school. Love but you know that 3,300 students who marched all the way on a terrible march, windy day from Lane Tech to the Board of Education to protest girls coming. Yeah. We've seen pictures of them all walking out of the school and they didn't want there girls. Was, there was eight of us who stayed in the school. I was one of them. <laughs> I was one of them. So you never got to go to school. We entered in 1977 was when girls entered? No, in 1971, 1975, I was, no, 19, wait, I went there from 1967 to 71. Okay. And in the fall of 71, the first girls came in as a freshman. I didn't know it's but been... But I graduated in June before the first class of freshmen came oh, I'm so sorry about that. It was that. a horrible experience for me, Lane Tech. Um, you know what I say about that? As I feel, I think my pride kind of comes from feeling like I survived it. 
more than thriving there. Do you know what I mean? Because it's a big school. It's overwhelming. And if you're not a self-starter, that's a tough place to shine. It, no, just, it really is. I, I, there's a story. This is an amazing story. You know, I would just do enough to get by. I just want to get out of high school so bad. Yeah. So bad. And, you know, English history, I've always been super good at. That's just me, you know? And, and in one English class in my junior year, believe it or not, like, Three of the top five students were in that class. And, you know, Lane Tech, everybody's an honor student. Back then, you were all honor students. Right, you had right. to, so there were no honors classes because you were all honor students in a sense. So three of the top five students. And my English, you gave a super hard test. And I got the, the highest grade by far. So, of course, since I am a Mexican, he must have cheated. He must have cheated. Wow. My God, nice to be a library aide. And the, and the teacher came to talk to me and go, I didn't cheat. I didn't cheat. But look at your grade point. I was just, I hate the school. Can you can you remember this? I hate it. I just want to get D's and get out of this place. Well, there's got to be best. There's going to be my high school teacher. I said, there's got to be a better way to teach high school than here. That's why you and, became a teacher because yeah, it yeah, was so there's bad. There's got to be a better way to do this. And so the teacher, the next test, the teacher sat next to me. Really? And who got the highest grade again? You got it again. I did. And was so to his dying death, breath, yeah. he believed I cheated. Really? And I liked that teacher. So that really hurt me personally. What was his name? Uh, Connors. He's long gone. He's I know. long gone. Well, I, I graduated in 89. Yeah, so it's possibly like, I started in 85. So yeah. 14 years later, it, it was possible. That, yeah, but it was what, like. What class was that? English. It was English? It was oh, Mr. Connor. I, I like the teacher. But you know what? It's it's like, you know, how could a Mexican look at the top grade? Let's so talk, it was a very racist school. Oh, I want to talk about it that. It was fascist oh, with capital F. I believe it. Let's. I want to talk more about that when we come back because I have to take a commercial. We are hanging out with uh, with the the president. Is that what your title I'm here president is the president founder. of the president and founder of the national the National Museum of Mexican Art, which is I mean like this is such an incredible gem. So I can't wait to talk to you more. I know we've talked in the past, but uh, the place I worked at with was racist and sexist that you last saw me. So I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> racist <laughs> so much, all over this country, oh, it's, the world. It's some crazy stuff. So let's catch up with uh, Carlos Tortolero. Tortolero. I got it. Tortolero. So this week I've, I'm working on the names. This week, folks. More after this on WCPTA 20 Heartland Signal live from the National Museum of Mexican Art. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. And we are broadcasting live from the National Museum of Mexican Art, and I am I'm sitting next to the founder and the current president of the National Museum of Mexican Art, Carlos Tortolero. Yes. <laughs> you did that well. I can go home now. There you, you go. You passed the test. I had, uh, you know, one of the Capitol, uh, the Capitol Police from January 6th oh, was, wow. was on with me earlier this week. He, he has suffered severe injuries and surgery and has written a book called American Shield, The Immigrant Who Tried to, to Save American Democracy. And his first name is Aquilino. And, but all the I's and L's next to each other, like, I couldn't make it out. So he had to walk me through how to pronounce his first name. Aquilino, Aquilino Ganell. Says, oh, wow. He's Dominican Republican. Um, so you are a graduate of Lane Tech. We talked about that a little bit. My father also went there in the 50s. He got thrown out for smoking in the boys' school, boys room and walking on the lawn. Oh, yeah. My first day, I walked on the lawn. They gave me 26 periods of discipline. I go, oh, there's, there's no signs and you can't walk. It's, it's in the manual. I go, oh, I just got the manual two periods ago. I had class. How do you think I'm, well, I'm going to read it? Yeah. They didn't care. The, no. They were no. Nazis. No. He, they were Nazis. He ended up at the time, he went to Waller, which later became... Uh, uh, 
Oh, you, you know, you want to say I don't Lincoln Park High School. Lincoln Park High School. Now, now it's Lincoln Park High School for the arts, I guess. It's changed yeah. a little bit. And then you became a teacher at Bowen based on how much you hated the teachers you had at Lane Tech. There's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way. Uh, so where did you go to college? UIC. You went to UIC? I lived like 10 blocks away. Right. And so I could just walk over or not, you know. Uh, when I was at UIC, I kept saying, I was, you know, 17 years old when I went to UIC. I was a young guy, and I, I would say, I can go home right now. I can go home right now. Right now, I can go home. They can't do anything to you. This is college. This is good. This is good. Uh, I played in the foundation holes when they were building the school. Really? Yes. <laughs> so got several big war- pits? Yeah, yeah. I, I got several wheels. You know, the, the hard hats would chase me away. I got several awards from them. I became on the board of U of I, which consists of, you know, Urbana, UIC, sure. and Springfield. And they got an honorary degree from UIC, so I've got the whole whole circle from UIC. So you you probably had a lot to do with things like the president scholarships and things like that, with uh, bringing students of color into no. The when, when I was in, on the board, that was 2009, 2011. It was like 14. Okay, months. I was one of the members who took over that board that had to resign. Oh, really? I was yeah. actually the only person in like a five year period who was not there during the scandal. I came after the sc- scandal and I left before the next scandal. <laughs> so I'm <laughs> scandal free. You know how to time things. Uh, yes, it was, okay. I enjoyed it, though. It was tremendous. I love being at UIC. Oh, uh, University of Illinois and UIC. Are tr- I, I, I went to grad school at UIC. I went to undergrad at University of Illinois, and, uh, and I love the entire system. And I'm glad that we are returning to, you know, Governor Pritzker has committed to supporting our public universities in the state of Illinois. That is that is so necessary. It's, it's a it, no-brainer. It really is. Well, rounder yeah, we're politicians. Yeah. I know. <laughs> you never know. So you graduate from UIC, and, uh, and we, we do. Did you immediately start teaching, or what was your first? Yeah, I graduated in March of 75. I graduated early, and I began teaching in September at Bowen High School in the south, south side of Chicago, South Chicago. And I didn't even know. I, I knew there was this thing called South Chicago, but I just, you know, and... Um, I love the students there. I, I moved to the neighborhood. My wife and I would live in Rogers Park, which is too far to drive. Sure. But I moved to South Chicago to be close to the school, to be close to the students. In fact, uh, the Calumet, you know, for fisheries that just burned down, we just called shrimp on the bridge. And the, the dates are so French fries by the pound. Any place that sells French fries by the pound is good in my book, okay? <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, that's, that's the amazing. The shrimp was great and everything. So there were a lot of institutions like that. But you felt like you were in your own... Um, town there. I remember the kids would say, I'm going to Chicago Sunday. No, you're going downtown. Right. You live in Chicago. But it felt like South Chicago, which is own little town. Yeah. So I really enjoyed teaching there. I, I really had a good time. The system was awful. There's a, you know, I ended up going to central office because I was off fighting with the principals all the time and worked in central office for a while. But my last week in Bowen is when I told my friends, I want to start a museum. Let's yeah, a museum. I was going to say, because you only did that seven years after you graduated from the University of Illinois, Chicago. When I started doing we opened what five the, later. Well, you know, I'm, I'm a history person. Yeah, so I, am I. Yeah, I have a degree in history from the University of Illinois. All right. <laughs> oh, we're going to I'm just saying. No, no but, I just thought that there was a need. I remember the books were so awful that I was supposed to teach with. I never teach them. One of my favorite, because uh, it's so bad, she's my favorite, one of the best examples of how stupid the system was, the book would say, Hernando Cortez wasn't bad to the Indians. Only when they misbehaved, no. you had to teach them a lesson. That was in the book. No. That was in the book. It wasn't like make-believe. It's like someone said it. It was awful. 
awful, oh awful. My God. So teaching by Sri Mahika was just awful, and that infuriated me. You know, my favorite joke is, that is my saying, is the first cowboy wasn't John Wayne. It was Juan Wayne. We were there first. <laughs> yeah, we, so there's a, you could food. No country has done more for cuisine in the world than Mahika. No. Chocolate, vanilla. Pumpkins, tomatoes. One crop. And, <laughs> Potatoes. And, you know, they killed the Irish, by the way. I don't <laughs> well, you know, they gave us South America, but everything else. But the yeah. point is, um, they should teach that in the schools. They yeah. don't. No. They don't. They don't teach anything correctly about history of Mexico. In fact, if, if, if the gamers who's the most American who served the country more, Mexicanos have died in much higher percentages, have served in a much higher percentages. So the gamers who served in, in the military the most, the most true American, I think we win that contest. I think so. <laughs> so, it's, so you get tired of this nonsense. And I'm a person, you know, I, I was saying this is true. Everybody says I'm a troublemaker. Everybody called me an angel when I was a kid. But I would see some, my favorite, I was telling the story before, but this is one of my favorite stories, you know, Romper Room. I just see Romper Room and Romper Room. You know, she never said Carlos? No, I exactly. Carlos. You're following me. Yes. You got, you know, cause for, for folks who don't know Romper Room, it was a 50s, 60s, horrible, you know, special effects. There'll be a woman with a mirror and all of a sudden there'll be some smoke and then boom, there'll be no mirror. And just say, I see Johnny and I see Paulie and mm-hmm. I see Mary. Say Carlos, say Carlos, say, never said Carlos to my mom. My mom, you don't have to go to my class. Her name Maria. Don't they know about this? Right. And so it's little kids. So, you know, I didn't search out to, to open my mouth. It just, life was just there facing you. <laughs> I'm the you same had way. to speak up. Yep, I'm the you same way. You had to speak up. But you know, what are, you know you're silent. So well, how many kids in your family did you grow up with? Four. Four. Okay. And where did you, where's your family from originally? It's all over. My father was from Sinaloa. Uh-huh. Okay, from which from Mazatlan. My mother was was from Tepic, Nayarit. They met in Guadalajara. They got married in Guadalajara. We immigrated from Guadalajara to Chicago. So that's like our city. A sister and a brother were born there. So that's like our main city. And the brother born in Jalapa, Veracruz. All beautiful parts of Mexico. I was born in Merville, Laredo. Laredo. Merville, <laughs> Laredo. Oh. Laredo. See, it's, it's as ugly as you can get. So, Near the border. So God, the... I have my own list when I talk to God. We're going to have a showdown. <laughs> What, would have changed the universe. I've been born in Guadalajara. Come on, <laughs> give me a break here. My mom is from uh, Ciudad Acuña. It was actually Via Acuña when she was little. Apparently, it's grown to now a Ciudad. And uh, but she moved to she lived in Mexico City from when she was about a young teenager. Oh, I love Mexico City. Uh, I, so I finally went back because as a teenager, I was a surly teenager and I was in love. And all I wanted to do was talk to my boyfriend. So fortunately, I took my son and my mom back uh, about two years ago, and we stayed at Cuyahuacan. Cuyahuacan's amazing. Oh my God. You can live forever for there. Uh, yeah, I thought about it. You walk around and it's it's magic. It's crazy. Yeah. Omega City is like in it's, it makes no sense many times and you love it. <laughs> That's true. That's it's a lot like true. New York. Yeah. But I think nicer. It's it, it's it's absolutely stunning. I'm so glad. I, my my son wanted to go see uh, where the students had been shot at by oh, the military. Local. That was I had never heard that story. Oh yeah, they they it was all planned. In fact, um, they had people with white gloves. Right. So you so the, so the police knew these are the people on our side. Right. So they took away. But they, they never got a record count how many people were killed. What was interesting, the news that night, the, you know, the number one news broadcast in the country, starts the news by saying, today was 82 degrees. It was a lovely day. That's how we began it. What? Something like that. That's Students how we began were the shot. News. Yeah. Unbelievable. And now that, that the housing development is considered a landmark because it was one of the first sort of housing developments. Uh, yeah, it was a famous because it was done by... Tata Loco, which was 
uh, one of the powers with the city of Mexico. And, you know, the big place to go shopping back in the Aztec times uh, was, was that market. And it had a colonial church, so they called it the, you know, the Plaza of Three Cultures. Three cultures, yeah. It's a modern building, colonial building. And, and the ancient has, ruins. You know, the ruins. You're like, I always tell people, Mexico City, I mean, the downtown historical center has one of the largest churches in the world, a beautiful colonial church, church, one of the largest plazas, all these colonial buildings, and the pyramid. Now, I've looked in Chicago's downtown. I've not found the pyramid. Maybe I'm digging in the wrong place. Everything I'm going to find it. I'm going to find it. I'm going to find it. But how do you not love a city like that? And the food's amazing. Oh, my God. In fact, uh, Eva Longoria's show... And food is excellent. I was concerned, but you know, she married a Mexican. Her Spanish is very good now. Very You're right, good. right. I think she's originally from Texas, but her family's from yeah. Mexico, right? Yes. So you decide to, to create this museum, which has become one of the largest uh, cultural. It's, it's we're the largest cultural organization outside of Mexico. In Chicago, not Texas, no. not California, not the Southwest, Chicago. So when people tell me why Chicago, I would say, why not Chicago? Right. Well, we have the second largest Mexican population in the, in the United have, States. People don't realize well, did, only to Los Angeles. Did you hear the survey that just came out like a month ago? It was all over the media that one in five people in Chicago called themselves, you know, a Mexican. Really? Now people say American, then they say Mexican. So it's oh, we're I, everywhere. I say, Look I, at our food. You know, Taco Tuesday, give me that. <laughs> You, we don't have Taco Tuesday. We have Taco Monday, Taco Wednesday, Taco Thursday. Gave you a break. Here, Amaz- so. Amazing. Ooh, hold on. Let me. Uh, <laughs> that's okay. I just that just went into some people's brainstorms. Are you good? Do you need some yeah. water? <laughs> we to, let me take a quick break here and see what we have uh, going on right now. We're hanging out with Acaro Torotero. Uh, I'm sure I got it wrong, but <laughs> I got his microphone off. He needs a Kleenex. We're going to take a break here uh, and continue our conversation with uh, Carlos Torotero or see who we're having up next. We are at the National Museum of Mexican Art here in Pilsen, uh, one of the largest, the largest Mexican cultural organizations in the United States. More in a moment when we come back on WCPT 820, Heartland Signal. Hey there, it's your guy Warren Price from European and U.S. Collision Repair, the division of Technicraft Body Shops. We specialize in automobile and truck repair as well as normal automobile maintenance. With our highly skilled technicians and environmentally friendly materials, we strive for quality. Call 773-248-1200. That's 773-248-1200 or europeanus.com. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez. In your communities in Chicago. On WCPT 820. We are broadcasting live from the National Museum of Mexican Art, and we are here to celebrate Yolokali. And joining me right now is Claudette Solo. She is the president and CEO of Basso Limited, and she's a construction management owner, representative permit coordination firm in the Chicagoland area. And uh, we wanted to learn more about her relationship with Yolokali, and she joins us right now. How are you doing? Hi, I'm doing great. Uh, here we go. Let me just put that so we can hear you a little bit. All right. So tell me a little bit about your your relation and your participation with Yolokali. Well, today we're actually one of the presenting sponsors. We're donating $20,000 to the organization for their new project that they're embarking on. And tell us about your commitment to supporting their mission. Well, it's very important that um, the construction industry supports Yolokali and all the initiatives that they're putting forward. Um, We've been investing in them for several years uh, separately, Uh but we've come together under our new organization to support them. Outstanding. And and, well, let me me start here, too. Uh, Where are you from originally? I'm from Gage Park. From Gage Park? Yes. Where did you go to high school? I went to Mother McCormick. 
Macaulay High School. Oh, hello. Yes. <laughs> How did you like the uniforms? The uniforms were good. We got to pick them. Oh, really? It was a big culture, culture shock coming from Gage Park to 99th. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah, that's quite a, quite the adventure. Yes. And what led you into into the industry that you work in now? So it was actually my father um, watching him working in, um, we had apartments and we would renovate them on the weekends. And uh-huh. through there, I decided to study architecture and engineering. What? Where'd yes. you go to school? I went to IIT. Oh, nice. Yes. And was it everything you'd hoped it would be? It was. And it was yeah. also very challenging. Sure. <laughs> I can imagine. And and it is, you know, we, we had a, a show prior to my show airing today with Santita Jack. Jackson and uh, Jonas Bazito talking about women and people of color in different spaces and how, you know, one, you know, we have to be out. Al- we need to be allies for each other. We need to be advocates for ourselves. Uh, what have you learned in that space, you know, in contrast to maybe going to Mother Macaulay, being in an all girls situation and then all of a sudden being in this very masculine environment, right? Yeah, it's actually a, a warning that my mother gave me before I started IIT. She said, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure you want to go into this industry? Because it's going to be very very rough. So she was very open and honest about that, and it has been very difficult because we're often underestimated because we are Latinas and because we are, you know, um, women in right. this industry. Right. That's, that's a thing. And what we're needed too. the perspective of women is, is incredibly valuable. Wouldn't yes. you say that's something that we need to amplify? The perspective of women and especially women of color. Yes, absolutely. Because, uh, you know, the, one of the things that they mentioned is that, you know, women, white women make 77 cents to the dollar of every white white man. But Latinas are even beyond, behind uh, African-American women. I believe it's about 11 months before we earn as much as a man does in, in the... Uh, <laughs> yes, I've heard that. I've heard that. And many times when I walk onto the construction site, they think that I'm there to take notes or to do administrative tasks. They don't know that I'm there to lead the project. Right. So it's always a challenge. Gotcha. I, I know that uh, the work that, that, that the folks do with Yolokali is, uh, you know, something that we want to encourage children to express themselves through art, through communication and things like that. What have you had a chance to experience with uh, the work that they do? Well, we've actually um, done a lot of outreach to them. I, I also started a grassroots organization where we introduce um, construction, architecture and engineering to, to youth. And we actually did a couple of design projects in Little Village because they're really there isn't a lot of change that goes on architecturally in our communities, and we have to educate and share that with those with the students. So Yolokali is a great program, and we know that it's been centrally based in Pilsen for a majority of the time, and now that you know they're they're expanding that out, which is which is essential. What we need is exposure. They need to look at all the different avenues and choices that they have, and not just you know the the communities that they live in. One of the things that they they told me about uh, you know sort of the um, um, the inspiration or under, unfortunately one of the, the major catalysts for expanding this program was the murder of Adam Toledo. Yes. And, uh, and so tell, tell us a little bit about what, I mean, cause you know, there, that was such a, a moment of uh, so much conflict, right? There was this idea that, well, where were the parents and what, you know, all these layers of mm-hmm. he, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time, or he shouldn't have been there kind of. And, and I mean like friendships ended over the way people responded and, and rather than the life 
life of a young person uh, being taken too early. Yes. So I grew up in Gage Park in the 90s, and it was heavily, you know, gang infiltrated. And a lot of my friends were also gang members. And what I never really could wrap my head around is that we all started from the same point. Our parents had very, you know, we're, we're Latinos. We have very strong morals and values, right, as we're, as we're being raised. We all started from the same point, but for whatever reason, paths were chosen. And I truly believe it's because of the lack of, of community, you know, investment and opportunity. I think so, too, because, um, you know, Carlos and I were talking about this. He graduated from a Bowen, from a Lane Tech uh, about he graduated uh, 18 years before I did. And well, because he, he actually graduated the year I was born, which <laughs> all makes sense. But he was talking about how differently he was treated because, you know, there was there was always suspicion that he was cheating. Yeah. People don't understand the macro and microaggressions that we experience as. As, as Latinos and as as, uh, as women, you know, in a different way. Like I had a, and I didn't have a chance to tell him this, but I had a teacher, and my husband always reminds me of this because, like, you know, you tell someone a story, and then they're, they're like so wounded by it, they're angry for you. My trig teacher mm-hmm. asked me when I was 16, I yawned, and he asked me if I was tired from walking the streets at night. Oh, nice. Yeah. So th- <laughs> as a prostitute. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That was my my junior year of high school questions like that, mm-hmm. and and it's. It's funny because I know I present as white and I can mm-hmm. I can pass as white, but as younger for whatever reason I look lighter now. Mm-hmm. And there was oh there were always the the jokes about you know stealing hubcaps and those are micro. There are people who have much more macro aggressions directed yes. at them because of their skin color, because of the way they sound. My brother is from Mexico; he's mm-hmm. not half Irish like me, and uh, and struggled. He went to Schur's High School, and there you know when you are the 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 focus of intense scrutiny, whether it's from teachers or other students, you're going to find the people that make you feel like you belong. Correct. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's happened to me too. So my peers, you know, we went to Catholic school. So you never think that there's gang members in a you know, Catholic school like that perception, right? But oh. everywhere. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They were my friends. I would hang out with them. I it changed the way that I dressed, you know? Like it, 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 you want to fit in? I want to fit in because I was always the nerd and I always wanted to be, you know, loved and accepted. So that's how paths start changing. I love you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I do. And by the way, everyone, everyone at the station is like, is like, uh, is, are we loud enough now? They want to know if we're, if we can turn this up a little bit. Um, Cause I feel like it's so weird. They locked us in this room. Like I I'm know. in this wing. I know they, they literally lock in that door. I'm like, I could be out there. There's outlets. Out there. <laughs> I feel like I'm one of the exhibits. They want to, you know, keep us contained. I guess when you were younger, before you, you were working, you know, with the construction company and doing it, did you have a chance to come here when you were young? to the National Museum of Mexican Art? No, we never no. came here. And the crazy thing is that my dad grew up here in Pilsen, and he, he would play, you know, in Harrison Park before it was Harrison Park and told me all these stories, but we never came here. No. No. Oh, I'm so, well, the, when I, I can't remember when I, I know that uh, when I started working as a stand-up comic, they invited me to perform here in the early 2000s. I did a show here called Mamacita, Tales of a Diaper Diva, <laughs> and, uh, and talking about motherhood and, and mm-hmm. uh, raising my kids. And, uh, and my, my mom has, has, has come here, and we also came here when I was little to go to Mexican restaurants mm-hmm. in, in the neighborhood. Do you have any favorites that you, that you frequent? We grew up on Milagro. Milagro? Yeah. So we would always come 
come to Milagro, I always remember getting the tacos and the beans. And I would only eat beans when I was a child. Oh, really? I never wanted to eat meat. So that was always, like, my focus. And this museum, I didn't get to come until I was in college. So, see, isn't that the thing? Mm-hmm. I, I, the other thing I was talking to Carlos about was uh, how so many young people don't think of, like, places like this as theirs or downtown Chicago. You know, when, when, we, when there were protests, and, of course, you know, violence and vandalism is wrong, you also have an entire population that doesn't feel like they, that the city is theirs. Yes. Yeah. Would they, you'd be surprised. Like, the children that I've mentored and the professionals that I've mentored, they only live within their community, and it's very seldom when they venture out. Right. So they, we need that exposure. Chicago is not just one neighborhood. It's, it's vast. Absolutely. What are your, you know, what kind of conversations are you having with people when we talk about migrants and asylum seekers and, and people that we're trying to welcome into the city? That's a very hard conversation. It is, isn't because it? Because people don't understand it. They don't understand, you know, why they're coming here. They can't relate to that. If they, would, if they can relate to that and see that and experience it and take it on themselves, they'll see why they're coming. Right. Like, it's not a burden. They're, they need to do this in order to survive and for their kids to have Right, you know, a future. I, I uh, one of the stories I did not get a chance to get to with my audience is I don't know if you saw the newspaper article today about how there are 500 CHA homes who that some of which have been fully remodeled and ready to, for people to live in and have remained vacant in places like Humboldt Park and then people start using those as a place to squat and then you know and deal drugs or whatever and become uh, a problem on that block and there are 10,000 people waiting for placement. That's unacceptable. It is unacceptable. It's unexpected, unacceptable, especially the amount of money that CHA and other yeah. affordable housing authorities utilize in order to, to upkeep and renovate these places. Yeah. There was one that they spent $1.5 million in renovations, still remains vacant. It's a multifamily unit, uh, building, and they... What, what, I, I, I'm sorry. I just I heard about that this morning. It's detrimental because when you don't utilize the buildings, they start deteriorating. I was thinking that you would... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that would be My engineer brain. Yes. <laughs> now, working for... Do you, do you still do work in, in the construction end of it, or are you doing a lot more of the administrative? So we're owners representatives. Okay. So we walk hand in hand with ownership, helping them select their architects and their general contractors, and we see it all the way through construction, design okay. through construction. And when you mentor some of the kids, what, what are, are you trying to, you know, tell them, open their their eyes to this world because there's such a demand for for engineers and architects and, yes. and construction. There's a huge demand, and, and you know, the unfortunately, you know, the kids aren't, aren't going into this industry. We like to expose them to it. And just give them the language of, um, you know, college, right? Right. Bringing them to college campuses, letting them see that. Letting yes. them see peers who grew up in the community with them. Also undocumented students, for them to see that they're still going and they're pursuing their degrees, even though it's not guaranteed what the outcome's going to be. Right. I'm just so, I'm so grateful for the work that you guys do, and I'm grateful for your time. Thank and you. can, if, if people want to uh, to know more about the company that you work for, where can they go? They can go to um, Basso LTD. We're on the... We're on the web. I'm trying to find all. I, I was given like these big bios for everybody. I know. And then I'm like, what, what page are we on for everything? I want to make sure I did. Was there anything you wanted to make sure you? Should? I know when they told you you were doing a radio interview, you're like, what? I yeah. hope this was was painless. It was. It was beautiful. Thank oh, you. I would love to talk to you again sometime mm-hmm. uh, and and catch up with the work that you're doing. And if there's anything you want to amplify, please don't hesitate to reach out. Okay. Oh, well, we, thank I'll, you. I'll be here for the rest of the night. I'm hosting the event, so beautiful. I'll be in there later. Right. Pleasure to meet you. Uh, we've been we're hanging out with Claudette Solo and. Uh, we'll
we'll talk to you again later. Right, Have a great evening. We're going to take a break here when we come back. I don't know who we're talking to next because Carlos, uh, let's see, I think Martin Montes, maybe? I don't know. We'll find out when we come back on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal Broadcasting Live from the National Museum of Mexican Art. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez, Patty Vasquez. My guests start laughing at my theme song by the one and only Steve Goody. And, uh, of course, we want to say hi to our friends in Minneapolis-St. Paul on KTNF 950 AM, also listening right now. Uh, joining us right now is Jose Alfredo Suarez, who is one of the uh, one of the original creators of the Latino Executive Board. Is this right? That's correct. The Executive Latino Council. Executive Latino Council. Yes. And uh, so I, wanted, I told you I would start with, where did, so where did you grow up, my friend? So I grew up in Humboldt Park. Okay. Uh, which is kind of not the norm for uh, Mexican-American uh, in Chicago. <laughs> Uh, considering that we're in Pilsen right now, and right. close to Little Village, so Humble Park uh, was the predominantly a Puerto Rican neighborhood. Right. Uh, and oh, growing, you, got, you did get picked on there, didn't you? Uh, uh, a little bit. Oh. You know, once they once they found out that so I was uh, Mexican, it, it, it was uh, you know, it was, it was game on. <laughs> it was pretty, you know, like I, uh, I had friends who were Mexican American. Uh, I think also Italian who grew up in Humble, uh, the Salinas, Jose Salinas and Rudy Salinas. Uh, where so where did you go to high school? So I went to high school at uh, Prosser. Career Academy. Oh wow! Which was which was the back then called Prosser Vocational. Um, so I technically should be a HVAC technician right now. <laughs> <laughs> but I said, you know what? I don't want to be an HVAC technician. I want to go to college and I want to become a professional. And that's what I ended up setting my sights on. And my parents supported me. Uh, but f- funny enough, going back to Humboldt Park, all my friends are Puerto Rican. Yeah. Uh, the culture was Puerto Rican. So I remember one time as a kid, I was telling my mom, like, Mom, Mom, when are we going to go to the island and visit? You know where we're from. And my mom was like, Island Isla? Like, what are you talking about? I'm like, yeah, aren't we from, like, you know, the island oh. of Puerto Rico? She's like, you're not Puerto Rican, you're Mexican. You had so many friends, you thought you were Puerto Rican, too. Hey, seriously, yeah. It, it was just, I, that was the culture that I grew up in. I was born and raised in that neighborhood, and um, that's all I saw. So uh, that culture is still very, very near and dear to, to my heart. And, but, uh, you have um, a blend? But, uh, yeah, I'm a blend, yeah. Where's your, fam- <laughs> where's your mother's family from or your, or your father's? They're from Mexico. Which so, part? Uh, from Guerrero. Guerrero. Yeah, yeah they're from Guerrero, uh, from Acapitalawaya, which mm-hmm. took me a while to learn how to say that. Uh, <laughs> but they're originally from Veracruz. Uh, so um, when the Spanish came over, Veracruz was the first port city. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of Spanish influence. Uh, my biological father is 6'4". Uh, my entire family is over 6 feet. Uh, you know, my grandma had the, the, the real real light skin. like uh, Real, real light skin. Like you can you. say like me. It's like okay. You. <laughs> I, say, like, like I looked at you and I was like, oh, should I say that she's like light skin? I'm like half that? Irish. That's why. I'm oh. My mom. My mom's okay. from Coahuila, but uh, yeah, so I'm half Irish. So sim- similar to that, and yeah, um, yeah it was uh, you know, so just kind of figuring figuring that out and uh, d- discovering my roots, and yeah, so I, I've got a, a good you know a, a blend of mm-hmm. Puerto Rican and Mexican, but yeah, going back to uh, Prosser Vocational, um, yeah, it was a, it was a trade school basically, but uh, you know, I, I want to go to college, and I, my dream was to become a politician and oh. and help a lot of people. Yep, and I still get called, you know. Uh, my nickname is the mayor sometimes. <laughs> like, really? The mayor, he knows everybody. He talks to everybody. everybody Do you ever think him. about running? In, I think if the situation was right and uh, and I, I was done the advocating, yeah. then I think there, there might be a possibility. You but give me a call. I've run. I came very close to running against an incumbent. 
Yeah. Okay. Just, I, 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 I would, will. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I ran for state rep. And I, I mean, if it's something you've ever thought and had that in the back of your mind, I absolutely encourage you to do that. I think you would be magnificent representing the community. I appreciate that. I, yeah. your, your, your show would be the first place, place that you make the announcement. It. Yeah. <laughs> I love you heard that. it here, everybody. <laughs> do you know, uh, having gone to vocational school, do you still have your T-square and drafting board? Or I, 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 I have my brother. I went to Lane Tech, so I have I had all that stuff. Did you have to have like machine shop and uh, which what, what were the shops that you had? So we had auto body, we oh. had drafting, um, we had graphic design, um, architecture, um, uh, culinary arts. Oh, um, see, that's a little bit different than Lane. We didn't have culinary. Yeah, arts. I mean, it was a full out uh, program. It, we had, I mean, our body shop. If you if you got in a car accident, you could roll your car in there and say, "Hey, students, can you work on my car as for practice?" And they would fix it, and you just pay for you know for any of the the material. The parts, yeah. But the labor was free, so a lot of people took advantage of that. That's amazing. Um, and I. I did a HVAC technician, so we would have a furnace, and we would build out ductwork that would go through the walls, go up in the ceiling, um, and then just be able to, um, you know, hone our craft. And a lot of the uh, students in that class ended up becoming um, technicians, and one of my best friends actually opened up his own HVAC company, and when I got into insurance, uh, he was one of my first clients. That's fantastic. (laughs) That worked out well. You're like, okay, these people are all going to go into the trades, and I need need to get there. I mean, they're going to open their own business. Businesses. I'm going to send them business. Sell them business insurance. That's right. <laughs> Do you ever watch? I don't know if you ever watch the show. It's such a girls show. But Gilmore Girls, the patriarch of the family, sells business insurance. Like that's his Stop whole. It. That's his whole thing. Yeah, really? yeah. It's so funny because like when they go places, he'll like look around and see where like they're you know where they're vulnerable and like how they you know. That's me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's me. That's... You know, you'll get a crack in front of the the, the building. You're like, you're going to get sued if someone falls on the sidewalk. Yeah, if, you know, if I walk into a place <laughs> and I get tripped by the rug. The first thing I do is like, you have to take care of that rug. Do you have tape? Let's let's yep. replace the tape. And I make this big deal about it. And they're like, why are you making a big deal? about it? I'm like, someone could trip here, run into this plate glass, and you don't. <laughs> I, and oh my mind just starts going. And so, oh I, no. I I specialize in construction insurance, like business sure. as a broker. So my mind kind of just goes all over the place. I'm like, well, you got this crane that's picking up this. Oh my you know, god! It, it's just like uh, you see all the worst possible outcomes. Yeah, because and I see the claims and I, I figure out what's going on and I'm like oh you guys uh, you're like final destination for business people do you remember that (laughs) but but my job is to just sure evaluate and and, and stop it yeah yeah Yeah. no that's great where'd you go to college Uh, I went to college at Cornell College in Mount Vernon (laughs) Iowa oh it's a different Cornell different Cornell do you have to say that every single time every single time yeah that's so funny it's a liberal arts college what was that what was that kind of shift for like oh culture shock 100% yeah it's um, we, I, I got a chance to uh, check out uh, Minnesota a few times uh-huh. uh, when I was. <laughs> oh, why wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I well, Minneapolis St. Paul is really nice. It is. Yeah, it is beautiful. I, um, but I remember just being really cold. Yes. Uh, we went during winter. I'm like, maybe this wasn't the best time to come visit because, um, but uh, my experience in Iowa was great because it it really. Uh, opened my eyes to a different culture, a different world that I was not used to, right? I, my whole bubble was Humboldt Park and Latino in, in the community and speaking Spanish and being myself. And when I got out to Cornell, um, there were instances where someone might not have ever seen a Latino or know what a Latino was or is. And my name was Jose, and I was dark-skinned, and I was I was on the soccer team. So I was like, oh, I checked like, checking all the boxes. All the boxes. <laughs> 
So I remember being on the soccer team. They're like, oh, man, this guy's going to be great. And they would see me play. They're like, wait a minute. Maybe not all Mexicans are supposed to be really good at soccer. So I was was happy that I was breaking that stereotype in some some sort of way. Um, But, yeah, that's Cornell was definitely my my stomping grounds. And uh, I just celebrated my uh, 20-year, you know, anniversary of graduating. So I'm I'm dating myself. But uh, 03 was when I... Please. <laughs> I graduated U of I in 1993. So okay, all right, all right. So, there's, we can age ourselves. We earned it. That's right. That's right. We don't have these. Uh, I don't have these white hairs for nothing. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> so tell us about the the support you guys are giving for your locale and and why this work is important to you. Absolutely. So um, the Executive Latino Council was something that I formed. You know, I, I got into insurance um, in operations. I, I I did a lot of servicing. I did a lot of account management. I literally started in the print room, printing documents. Learned learned to trade. My mom got me into the business, um, and eventually it led me to a sales role. And when it was time to work with businesses, I said, what businesses can I work with? And I identified the Latino market. And I said, this is where I want to, you know, plant my flag and I want to, you know, develop a great book. And I started getting involved with the community. I started getting to know, um, you know, uh, elected officials and business owners. And, and, and um, when we... When we founded Executive Latino Council, it was with the idea of, well, I, I, if I could replicate myself and have all these other Latino business professionals that do different segments of work, different professional services that can augment these business owners, what, what a team that would make. Right. So we created it, Ulysses Verlas and I, we co-founded it. Now we've got 15 council members. And one of the things that we focus on are our clients, the business owners, um, but then we use our, our strength and our numbers for, to raise dollars collectively for the community. And Pilsen, um, you know, the National Museum of Mexican Arts, we've got friends and clients that are on the board itself. And we were told about this Yolokali project, and we're like, wait, this is great. Right. We can steer our clients into supporting this because it's a, a construction project, and the majority of our clients are in the construction space. My specialty is construction. I'm like, what better way to have my clients come in and then have the rest of the council members approach their clients, their, their network, um, right. and their their influence to be able to raise funds. So I think right now we're a little under $80,000 in amounts of uh, funds raised for Yolkali through the Executive Latino Council. Uh, our goal is for 100000 for tonight um, to, to break that. And it's been, you know, a mix of community work, uh, business advocacy, um, arts, philanthropy, culture, and it's all just mixed into a really good you know, melting pot where everybody's able to feel good about what they're doing and be able to give back. Um, and I, I, I tell you, Patty, if, if you told me that we would be hosting this, you know, a year ago right. by, by launching this company, I, I would have been like, that's no, there's no way. Like, how are we going to raise $100,000? Like, it, that's, that's a lot of money. But now that we're getting into the space and we're realizing the power of, of the Latino business owner, Latina business owner, uh, how much influence they have, our network, we're like, oh, wait, we've got something here. And yeah. We can tap into it and we can use this for, for a positive, you know, a, a, a positive value and contribute back to the community and at the same time help our clients build relationships, right? Everyone here is going to network with each other. They're going to talk about what they're doing. Opportunities are going to flow from it. 
We are presenting um, Yanet Garcia from Related Midwest with mm-hmm. our first ever award, the Elevando La Comunidad Award. It means elevating the community. She's given a lot of uh, our clients opportunities to work on multi, multi-million dollar development deals. Martin Cabrera uh, Jr., who's going to be giving a, her a keynote, you know, he runs his own hedge fund, a billion dollar hedge fund, and he's going to be getting into development space. So another opportunity for some of these uh, attendees to be able to work with him as well. So it all comes full circle. And um, it's just the power of kind of bringing everyone together. Is, is, it comes to light. And these, these nights are magical, right? Because you, you leave a lasting memory. And when I'm no, no longer here, it's gonna, I'm going to be able to say, well, I was part of that Yolokali. Like we, and the council was part of it. And we, you know, we, we, left, our, our, we left an impression on the world. I just got the chills. <laughs> just I mean, no, it's smart and it's wonderful. And I congratulate you on all that hard work and, and bringing people together for such a, a wonderful, uh, a, a really a wonderful program for kids and communities and for our community in particular. So I'm so grateful. Thank you so much. I appreciate You're, that, Patty. Thank yeah, you so I will, much. I'll be uh, hanging out with you in a little bit, too. I, I think it's so funny. We're only allowed to walk in like <laughs> they, 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 I'm pretty sure they lock me in I think you'll be able to get out I think that might have been done uh, intentionally well I, uh, so if, uh, you're my favorite Mexican who grew up in a Puerto Rican neighborhood I think Let me, oh no except for Jose Salinas but <laughs> we've been talking to Jose Alfredo Suarez and I'm, I'm really just so grateful he's one of the uh, founders of the Executive Latino Council and I really congratulate you all on your hard work and uh, what you've accomplished and I look forward to seeing what comes next great thank you Patty appreciate thank support. you so much my friend uh, thank you thank you thank you when we come back I think we're interviewing Martin Martin Montes. See? Did I say it right? Uh, excellent. We're going to come back in just a moment on WCPT 820, Heartland Signal. Hi, this is Kirk Bankstead from the Manaqua Brewing Company, and I sell progressive beer like AOC IPA and Bernie Brew, a lovingly irascible Democratic Socialist lager. A percentage of the proceeds of every beer I sell goes to helping keep Wisconsin blue and driving the Trump cult out of our state. Enjoy a great craft beer and help your dysfunctional neighbor to the north get its democracy back. Buy yours at Beer on Central in Evanston. D&D Finer Foods in Evanston, Rogers Park Provisions, Provisions Uptown, and Beer Shop Oak Park. Must be 21. Please drink responsibly. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez. In your communities in Chicago. On WCPT 820. We are broadcasting live from the National Museum of Mexican Art. And joining me now is someone my mom's going to be like, you should tell him you should have been a lawyer. Uh, Martin Montes joins me. He's a partner at Barnes and Thornburg. And he's an accomplished strategic business and legal executive. Uh, and I know that you are like very instrumental in the, this organization for Yoli Cali. I believe when we were having our our meeting and they were telling me about the rundown uh they were they were saying that you have been like one of the most passionate and energetic people behind this so tell us first of all where'd you grow up my friend uh so patty i think i might be the second uh mexicano who grew up in humble park okay Uh, i went to roberto clemente high school there you go Uh, i often tell folks that i probably was the fastest mexicano in humble park uh as you know uh, 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 integrating with my good friends from Puerto Rico. Yeah. <laughs> You're saying you got, you got taunted a little bit? Yeah, just a little 
little bit. Just yeah, a little just, bit. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's funny because I think every community that has somebody that's different. I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood, and I was I was very fast as well. I, <laughs> I I'm pretty sure there's still some of my DNA on the playground because they used to hold me down and force feed me uneaten lunches from oh, the God. garbage can. So I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I learned how to be very, very yeah, fast. Because yeah, yeah. um, there's, I mean, does, it, does that speak to like your passion to make sure that other kids don't feel like they have to run home fast? Well, I think uh, one of the things that it speaks to the beauty of, of two cultures that I was able to learn and and be part of. Uh, I jokingly say that about right. about I running know. because uh, one, you know, growing up uh, to two, you know, uh, immigrant parents, Mexicanos being first generation and learning that culture was just fabulous. And then, of course, you know, growing up in Humble Park, going to Roberto Clemente High School and learning the Puerto Rican culture. So to me, it was just a beautiful experience. Yeah. Uh, and, and, I, and I do love to share that. So That's great. And where'd you go to, let's see, where'd you go to, where'd you go to high, high, uh, college afterwards? Uh, college, University of Illinois. Champaign-Urbana? Uh, Champaign. And then from there, I went to Indiana University School of Law in Bloomington, Indiana. Nice. Yeah. Uh, what dorm did you live in in Champaign? Uh, I lived in the six-pack. I knew you were going to say six-pack. I don't know when you lived across the street from Impey. Uh, when did you graduate? I graduated from undergrad in 1992. Okay. Uh, and then law school in 1995. Did you go swimming at all at Impey? Uh, Never? No. I would have been no. your lifeguard. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I would have been your lifeguard. You were there around I, the same time. I graduated yeah. in 93. There you go. I lived yeah. in uh, Allen Hall, and then I, I lived on Green Street for a while over by O'Malley's okay. at Burger King. Sure. Remember where the sure. Burger King yeah, was? Absolutely. Um, but, uh, and then I lived in, uh, in Urbana. I loved the University mm-hmm. of Illinois. And my mom mom wanted me to go to law school, but I, I trusted my uh, history professor who convinced me to go to grad school for history. Sure. Um, but what, what drew you to, to studying law? Oh, so I do, Patty, I, I get to talk to a lot of young people in high school and in and, and college that are interested in law, and I'm very passionate about doing that because I, we do have to create a pipeline of more Latinos to get into law. Um, and, and I tell them the actual story that when I was about 10 years old, I did the stupid mistake of talking back to my father. And he says to me in Spanish, Debes de ser un abogado porque no te callas la boca. You should be. because <laughs> you can't shut your mouth. <laughs> there you go. And, and so for me, I'm like, oh, my father says I should be an abogado. That's what I'm going to be. And of course, you know, as I got to grow and learn more and, uh, in eighth grade, I actually did a, a book report on Martin Luther King and read about the civil rights movement. And then I read about Cesar Chavez and I was like, so I am going to be a civil rights lawyer, and that was my drive right. in high school and in college and being involved with various Latino organizations. Um, I was lucky enough between my first and second year of law school to have an internship at MALDIF, the Mexican-American Legal and the Defense and Educational Fund. And I actually worked on the case that, uh, that uh, created the first Latino congressional district where uh, Congressman uh, Luis Gutierrez. Get out of yeah, here. Yeah, so that wow. was fabulous. And um, and so I continued to pursue that dream. And I did well, Patty, you know, and doors opened up that otherwise would not have opened up for Stop me. Stop telling my mother I should have gone to <laughs> law school. And so, you know, I, I was lucky enough to find myself um, employed at a, at a very good law firm in Indiana, the same law firm I'm back at now. Really? So I first started at Barnes and Dornberg in Indianapolis. They were Indiana based law firm. And I jokingly tell people that 
you know, in the Napa's was just too south for this inner city kid from Chicago. Yeah, I could I could see that. <laughs> so so I got back to Chicago and and uh, then I found myself working in house as a lawyer for Walmart in Bentonville, Arkansas, and that was really south. Wow. Yeah. So it was a great experience. Sure. Uh, a wonderful experience, and then eventually I came back to Chicago. I worked uh, at the energy company Exelon. ComEd, and then I rejoined Barnes and Thornburg last year in June. Is it is it one of those things where kind of coming back, not you know, not necessarily on your own terms, but having this you know wealth of experience and having and knowing what you want to do, being of that age, Tremendous. our age, yes. and uh, okay, now you know you, you kind of can call the shots a little bit. You can write your ticket. Yeah, <laughs> you can. Yeah. So nice. um, so kind of back to the museum. I've been on the board now for a little bit over five years as a trustee. Um, and specific to Yola Gali, what, uh, how our involvement came about in promoting the firehouse was it all happened uh, shortly after the fatal shooting of Adam Toledo. And, and this was where, I just want to let you know that sure. this was where they told me during the prep for this that you had called an emergency meeting. Yes. Yes. So um, I was quite disturbed that... Uh, the Latino community, especially the Latino lawyer community, uh, were not saying anything. It was crickets. And, of course, as you know, there was a lot of bad media coming out against the family. Yeah. Um, where was the mom? Why did they know where he was? Oh, believe me. I told. I was telling earlier that I lost friends over this who were sure. like, he shouldn't have been out at night. And exactly. It's like, dudes, what are, you, what are we talking about here? You know, but for the grace of God, Patty, that would have been me at that age, sneaking out um, with two great parents. I, I used to be out. My mom will tell you, I, I never knew where she was. Um, I mean, like at 16 years old, I'd be out, you it, know? Yeah, it was, it was something. And so um, from there, kind of same people that you see here tonight and some other lawyers, we came together and we said, we have to do something about this. We have to, we have to talk about it and we have to get engaged. From that came uh, an effort that I led um, to um, draft and revise Chicago Police Department's foot pursuit policy. And knowing, right, the reason that Adam was not provided the resources, because he loved to draw, was Yolokali was on the west side of Little Village. We right. didn't have a Yolokali on the east side of Little Village that perhaps had we right. could have helped him. And and so um, obviously the museum was very supportive. And when we were presented with the opportunity of acquiring the firehouse, I went to Carlos Tortoleto, who was here, you interviewed him earlier and said, I'd like to, I'd like to lead this effort. And Yannette, who you'll speak to a little bit later, was like, I'd like to lead it with you as well. And it's just been an incredible experience from where we started to where we are now and where we intend to be. And an incredible example of being angry at a situation, being heartbroken and not just being social warrior, just as, you know, on, you know, arguing with each other sure. and, and things like that. And I know that a lot of, was the silence you think that people were just they don't like to criticize the police department i think part of the silence was that part of the silence was um th that they people were unsure what actually happened right uh, the, the the videotapes had not yet been released at that point sure. so um um, I was happy that we got the group together early on right. and we stood back and we stood our ground. And then you saw when the videos came out, what actually happened. Right. 
And what do you, so tell us a little bit about the, the plans for, uh, for Yodakali's uh, expansion. So the expansion, as I said, we're, we're currently, um, and you'll talk to Vanessa here shortly, we're currently in a boys and club, a boys and girls clubhouse, um, on, on the, on the west side. Uh, but this facility is going to be a state of the art facility once it's, it's done. And it's not only going to be focused on, you know, Yodakali, it's going to essentially almost become a community center where we're going to invite people in to be part of the space, to take part in the space. Um, and so, you know, I'm very proud of the efforts that we're doing there and what the museum is trying to do. And, you know, it kind of feeds into as well. I mean, we heard Mayor Brandon Johnson say, hey, you know, the way we try to stop this violence that's going on is to give youth the programs they need so yes. that they're not on the streets just like Adam. Right. And so we're really hoping that that is going to be what happens with the with the firehouse once it's up and running. Wow. Amazing story. I really appreciate your time and all the work that you've done. And I, I'm excited to see uh, all the speeches tonight. Sure. I will be uh, hosting. I've been called in at the last minute. <laughs> and I hope that everyone's okay, by the way. Yeah, but, no. Yeah. And, and, and Patty, you know, credit to you. Thank you for what you do for our community. Uh, it's just a big job and everybody's got a part in it. Well, I think you can thank my mom, too, because uh, my Absolutely. mom's a big part of that. She, uh, you know, she's fierce. And my boss, too. You know, I work for a comptroller, Susanna Mendoza. Yes. Who is such a shining light and, uh, and really a driving force, too. Uh, I'm inspired by many uh, strong Latinas. Well, and, awesome. and Latinos, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Martina. I look forward to talking to you again. I'd love to interview you. Uh, and I, I've told Carlos I want to come back and uh, do. Uh, we'll do a whole two hours on, on the National Museum of Mexican Art. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. You guys are Thanks. tremendous. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much. We're going to be right back. Our next, who am I talking? I mean, I have to check my schedule. We were talking to Vanessa next. I were talking to Vanessa Sanchez when we come back on WCPTA 20. Heartland Signal Broadcasting Live. Live from broadcasting live from the National Museum of Mexican Art and celebrating Yoli Kali. More after this. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez. There's so much that goes on behind closed doors on WCPT 820. <laughs> I am hanging out at the museum, the National Museum of Mexican Art in Pilsen, and I'm so excited to, to introduce you to Vanessa Sanchez. She's a director of education and Yolo Kali Arts Reach at the National Museum of Mexican art where we are and uh, she's she has served as arts administrator program director and mentor in the cultural arts sector for 15 years hi vanessa hi that's not even your entire bio but i <laughs> i want to learn more about you directly yeah. where where'd you grow up my friend little village you grew up in the, where'd you go to high school uh whitney young okay fine <laughs> uh, it's fun it's funny because Car- carlos and i both went to uh lake Layton. tech yeah we uh-huh. were talking about that so you're a dolphin i'm a dolphin it's a great school and one of the best arts programs in the city of Chicago for public schools, isn't it? I did have some really great art teachers there. Yes, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, and they, they have a separate building for it entirely yeah, for yeah. visual arts, performing arts, all of it. Yeah, yeah. It's a real special place. Was that some place that, that kind of grew that, that desire to express yourself artistically? I definitely had the arts in me since... I was a toddler. Uh-huh. I remember always wanting to be an artist um, since I was in preschool. You know, we had like a Halloween day. We had to dress up what we wanted to be, and I dressed up as an artist. You dressed up as an artist? Yes. <laughs> just, just like with a smock with paint? and a, Exactly that. And you had your... A little canvas and everything. Oh, how A cute. little beret. Come on. I can yeah. see it, too. I was, I was really into it. Um, but when I went to Winnie Young, actually... Uh, 
I was more focused on academics. Sure. And I did the arts um, also, but it was really actually the clubs there that got me really interested in being more involved with my community. And so I really think Whitney Young, for the community I built there and, you know, still having the arts and then still learning about just what it means to be passionate about your community and really work hard to, to be there for them. And do you continue to live in Little Village? I don't. I live in Garfield Ridge, not too far. Sure. But, um, Little Village still has my heart. I know the feeling, believe mm-hmm. me. And so did you go to college after high school? Yes, I went to UIC. Okay. And that's where I studied painting. Um, and that's where I first learned about Yolokali, actually. I uh, When I started UIC, I couldn't get into the arts program right away. I had a really amazing old friend named William Estrada. He was working at Yolokali, and he's like, hey, just come by. We have free art classes. I was like, cool. I'm poor. I love free. <laughs> Let me go through. And I mean, it was really there that like, I started to make art more. Um, and then when they had an internship, I signed up. They hired me, um, and that's where it all started. Uh, that was about 2001, um, and I found my people there. I found my community. I found the people that um, pushed me and that mentored me, and that it was that really love, again, of the arts and the community that felt like this is the place I need to be. I'm not One thing I haven't talked to anybody about yet, because everyone's talked about how they support Yolo Kali and why they're involved. What, tell us about Yolo Kali. Define yeah. it for us. <laughs> yeah. So Yolo Kali is a youth initiative of the National Museum of Mexican Art. It's been around since 1997. Mm-hmm. So it started off um, with, it, it's a crazy history where the museum had this opportunity to receive funding to do more youth programming. Around that same time also, the Little Village Boys and Girls Club was selling a radio station. That radio station was WCYC. If you grew up in Little Village, you know all about it, 90.5, all the freestyle, all the house. And Harv Roman. Was it Harv Roman? Yes. Yes. Our good friend Harv Roman. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So the museum purchased that radio station. They needed a home for it. So they bought the building at 1401 West 18th Street. Uh, they started a youth journalism training program. They wanted to make a sister program. That was Yolo Cali. Um, and so we were in that space uh, until about 2012. Um, that was our home. That was where young people went to learn arts, to learn activism, to learn how to be a, a network for each other, a community for each other. And it was a beautiful, beautiful like place of just like history and just legacy. And it was a mix of um, arts, so any, everything from painting, drawing, to street art, to printmaking. Um, sometimes we allow artists to have residency spaces there. Um, and again, it was just full of creativity, and it was very youth-focused. Like right. That was the number one thing that Carlos wanted, was that this is a space for young people. Right. They are welcome to come to the museum and have fun, but we know sometimes museums can have the stigma of being this space that isn't welcome for everybody. The museum is a little different, but um, he wanted to make a very special space for youth, and that's what Yolokali was. And so with that being a part of its culture, being a part of like what Yolokali is at the heart, this youth space, when we moved to Little Village, that's what we kept. 
the idea of it being a very youth-centered space. We made a youth council to help us bring youth voice back into the programming and back into the decision-making power. And um, and it's still there. We're still in Little Village at the Little Village Boys and Girls Club. We still offer street art, digital video and photo, radio. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> um, so we still bring radio back. Um, we even started a gardening program. We partnered with um, another organization across the street from us called Universidad Popular. And we created a garden across the street. Um, so we do workshops within the garden. Um, and it's really just about like having a space for young people to feel safe, feel supported, hang out with cool friends, find new friends, meet adults who are just as creative and weird as they are and just want to see, yeah, just want to see them blossom, you know, like feel safe to be like, this is the weird stuff I'm going to make and that's okay. And this is the things I'm going to question and that's okay. Well, that's one of the things, uh, coming back to the beginning of our conversations here at the National Museum of Mexican Art with Carlos Tolotero, talking about how he has always wanted to tell his story, tell the story. He always, always wanted to uh, either tell a story of history, you know, the things that we weren't taught in high school. And, you know, when we talk about, you know, art in Chicago, there, over the last couple of years, uh, you know, whether it's the Christopher Columbus statues or what the, you know, what the uh, expression, who, who has the right to be in s- certain spaces, mm-hmm. right? And, and and how do we tell those stories? Yeah. What do you find over the course of the last 15 years? What, what comes to mind when you think of the work that you've done with young people and how they've, you know, it has kind of give it open their eyes a little bit open their you know when they feel safe how they they blossom yeah i think it's just having that space for them to understand that their their voice is powerful yeah and that this is a safe space to use it and their mind is just as powerful their creativity is just as powerful and this is a space to use it and we're going to have artists next to them that are going to teach them some skills but those themes, those ideas those um, topics that they want to talk about or make art about or make changes about in their community we're going to be there to support them my, my coworker loves to say that we work for them and it's true, We whatever they want like let's do it with them Right, right. and so now, so there was the, the I guess the, they were telling about the purchase of a fire Firehouse is the new location for this is going to be kind of the community center idea? It'll be another location for us. Oh, another? Yes. So we don't want to leave our current locations. We actually have two. Um, so we have a space at the Little Village Boys and Girls Club. It's on 28th and Ridgeway. Um, and we've had a really beautiful partnership with the Little Village Boys and Girls Club since 2013. Um, the way it works is that our young people sign up as club members. We have this space for free, which is... You know, just a beautiful way that I feel like I always talk about Little Village and the organizations that work in Little Village. They are all there to collaborate, to partner, to build together for the benefit of the community. And the fact that the Boys and Girls Club is like, okay, these young people are going to become club members. And in return, y'all have the space for free. You make some cool things with the young people. It's just a beautiful relationship. So we have a space there. We also have a space at um, Barrett Park, which is where we're also an arts partner residence with the Chicago Park District. So we have a really small studio space at Barrett Park. We do art residencies there. Um, and then this third location will be the firehouse. We still don't 
know the name yet. That is a hot topic at your locality right now. Um, I believe it. Yes. So it's almost like an expansion, but also not just an opportunity for your locality, but also for the community. Like this is another space that we can partner with them, that we can make more programming with, that they can see as an asset for the whole community. Outstanding. Really tremendous work. Uh, what do you, I want to find, at some point I want to find out the gossip of some of the names that are being tossed around. <laughs> yeah. Uh, fuego always gets thrown around. Oh, fuego. Joke. So <laughs> <laughs> we're like, it sounds like a club, but like we shouldn't. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to get in the middle of any, any chaos and, uh, and, yeah. and conflict. And, I'm and like, the arguments. you know, I grew up like 90s, 2000s. I'm like, let's call it the hot house. Remember the hot house y'all? And all the young people are like, no. no I know. I'm like, I'm like, now I'm like thinking about things from the 80s, too. Anyway, one of the things that cracks me up is, so I, I, I'm not wearing my Doc Martens. I, I look down, I'm like, like my Doc Martens, those aren't them. Um, it's funny that everything I wore in the 80s and 90s is so popular right now. It is yeah. making me a little bit crazy. Only because I'm like, I got rid of all that stuff. It wouldn't fit me now. But like baby doll dresses and Doc Martin boots and jean jackets and like, and, you know, floppy little hat. I'm like, what? What is happening? I owned all of this. Vests are back. What? Uh, when they told you you were doing a radio interview, did you have in mind something that you wanted to make sure you said? Because I hate when people leave and they're like, oh, you know what I meant to say? Yeah. You know, this is a huge endeavor and we're super excited to have this new space, this new opportunity. Again, not just for young people, but for Little Village. And so, you know, if anyone is willing to help us in that effort, please go to the museum's website. Um, and reach out. Excellent. Thank you so much, my friend. I look thank forward you. to talking to you and collaborating with you again. Awesome. Thanks. Have a wonderful evening. We're going to uh, thank you. We're going to take a break here. I have uh, only because I uh, you can get, you can say you can say goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. Uh, I want to. I'm excited to in- introduce our next guest in just a moment. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we are going to meet uh, someone who's being honored this evening. Yannick Garcia is going to join us in just a moment on WCPT820 Heartland Signal and KTNF 950 AM in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Hey there, it's your guy Warren Price from European and U.S. Collision Repair, the division of Technicraft Body Shops. We specialize in automobile and truck repair as well as normal automobile maintenance. With our highly skilled technicians and environmentally friendly materials, we strive for quality. Call 773-248-1200, that's 773-248-1200 or EuropeanUS.com. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. We are talking to our our honoree for the evening. Yannick Garcia joins us at the National Museum of Mexican Art. We are here to celebrate Yoli Cali and the tremendous work that everyone has done and the the plans for the future. So welcome. Thank you for joining. Thank you for having me. This is so exciting. I'm very excited. (laughs) It's 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 so funny because I've been in here by myself and like people are, I'm not sure if I'm locked in as well as you are. I'm locked in. Okay. (laughs) So the art can't escape. That art can't escape. (laughs) So you are our second architect that I've interviewed this evening. Yes. Welcome. It's exciting. Where'd you grow up? So I grew up in Models Park in the Western suburbs. Okay. And were, were you in, like, did you know at a young age? Because I had a friend who was an art, became an architect and mm-hmm. she knew because she watched Brady Bunch. Mm-hmm. She wanted to be like Mr. Brady and, and, you know, draw buildings and things like that. Well, interestingly enough, I, uh, I, didn't even know that women could be architects, to be honest with you. And keep in mind, I went to an all-girl uh, Catholic high school, but I never saw myself as an architect. I didn't really think of women as architects. Uh, I didn't 
really get that exposure until college. I mean, I knew I wanted to, I wanted to be an artist, actually. I was going to go to the Art Institute of Chicago, I was ready to go, but, you know, uh, mom and dad were like, Mika, how are you, uh, are you going to pay the bills? (laughs) How are you going to survive? And so there's a, a misconception of, you know, what a career as an artist would be. And so I went to the next best thing, which was architecture. And uh, I got into it in college, actually. Where'd you go to school? I went to UIC, School okay. of Architecture. A lot of UIC, a lot of University <laughs> of Illinois grads over here, too. That's right. And so when you went to UIC, I mean, and the, the thing about staying close to home, too, mm-hmm. it, it, I think that a lot of us, tend, a lot of the, in the Latino population, I think, we tend to stay close to our parents. That's right. I, I, I was two and a half hours away so I could come home, but just far enough so I couldn't, I didn't have to, like, be expected to be home all the time. Right. Um, but what, you know, when you, when you went to UIC, was there a, a big change for you coming into the city and, and having this whole range of choices on a college campus? So, you know, I think the, the biggest impact of it was coming into the city. And now I had come into the city a lot because we came to Little Village to do the shopping because sure. we went down 26th Street to do grocery shopping and dress shopping and all that kind of great stuff. And Pilsen, we had family in Pilsen as well. And so it felt a little bit familiar because it was close. Um, but I came in very naively and it was looking at the city as like an just an incredible exploratory playground for me. And uh, that's actually when I first got introduced to this museum um, and absolutely fell in love with it. And, and you mentioned that you didn't even know that women could be architects. And we are in like this wonderful period of time when women in architecture are making, really making their stamp. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your career in architecture and like, you know, how that informs the work you're doing in, in the community. Right. So I worked as an architect for eight years out of my career. So I've been in the industry for about 22 years now, 23, 24, something around that line. I do the same thing. I'm like somewhere around there. A li- so, I always say a little over 20 years. There you go. A little right? over 20 years, but I've been doing, I was uh, focused in architecture, working as an architect for the first eight years of my career, and then went into what we all call the dark side, and uh, I went into the real estate development side of, of architecture and the building industry, and then into construction. Um, what I think that my career as an architect uh, has done for me is that it has opened the door to so many different career paths, um, whether it's building and designing and working with uh, clients or being the client and working with an architecture team. So it's just our architecture career, I think, just opens a world of possibilities uh, for career futures. And when it comes to, to real estate development, because I think a lot of people, you know, have this idea of like, what you know, does it mean? Is that housing? Is that business uh, development? Is it kind of a combination of all those elements? It's Yeah, it is. It's a combination of multiple things, right? It can, it can be from residential uh, to multi-unit housing to mixed-use uh, housing, right? When you have residential and commercial in in space, or it could be commercial development. so it, it, it could be a, a various amounts of different types of uh, real estate development. And so when, when, tell us about your, your collaboration with Yoli Kali and what brought you to this uh, wonderful organization. So um, about a year and a half ago, I was um, invited to be on the board. And I was, I mean, when I tell you I was doing the happy dance in the car when I saw the invitation coming, I was doing the happy dance in the car. I was very excited to be a part of this board because it's, it's just an incredible organization. Um, it is a free museum. I'm sure you've heard heard that from multiple people. Um, there are programs like Yolo Kali. There is a um, really uh, purposeful effort to teach the community about what Mexican art and architecture and theater 
and dance and music is, right? And so to change the perspective and to educate more people. And so as I was called to be a part of this board, I was very excited um, to be, you know, a, a member of the, the trustee board. But the thing that was um, really exciting for me with Yolo Kali was because I had heard the story of why they wanted this expansion and why it was important to reach more kids in Little Village um, so that they also have an opportunity to let that creative outlet one way or another, right? Not out in the streets, but in the a place where they can get some mentorship and some guidance and so that they can see that you being an artist is a possibility as a career, Right. I didn't have that opportunity because, you know, first generation children of immigrants, parents might be thinking, no, you should be an, an attorney. You should be a nurse. You should be a doctor. Um, and so I followed that path and I still and I feel like this is my connection to that world that I wish I would have been a part of. But it's also the part where it's like I get to provide uh, a space. I get to work in providing a space for them so that they can see their possibility of career in, in art. And there's, I mean, yeah, because it all comes down to telling the story, right? It's about mm-hmm. expression and, and who we are. I mean, I was talking about this one day because I've been to the, the pyramids of Teotihuacan mm-hmm. and I think about like what, you know, what we leave behind is usually art and science. That's right. Right? Our architecture mm-hmm. and uh, and our storytelling through images and, and you know, it's it's an incredible contribution that, uh, that you guys are all making to the communities. And I know that you guys have acquired this firehouse that everyone's talking about. Everyone's very excited. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the expansion and the work that's going into this. So for about uh, a year now, a little bit over a year, we have been working with uh, two design firms um, to put together a set of drawings that we could have pre- presented to city council uh, to get their approval so that we can obtain this property um, so that we can expand this program, right? And so about uh, two months ago, we got final approval from city council. They voted for it and approved it. Um, and so right now we're in the process of working through all the logistics of closing. Uh, we're pushing and hoping that we can close by January, February this year um, and hopefully start construction in the spring. Um, and so we've taken this firehouse and really looked at the first floor where the fire trucks usually park sure. um, and using that for space, uh, program space, like uh, a stage for theater and performance, a sound booth for recording for the kids, um, a, a, a lounge space so that they can feel somewhere safe and creative. Um, and then on the second floor, we have um, program spaces for pottery and for arts and painting and uh, different types of programming. So uh, it's taking this fallow property, right? It's empty. It's vacant. It's a beautiful building. Um, and really giving it another life. You know, when you think about, um, a firehouse and the men and women that reside in it and they save lives of their people in the community and now you think about this Yolo Kali Arts Reach Center expansion and how they, in many ways, are saving lives of other kids by right. having them in their space and teaching them and uh, mentoring them. I don't know. Maybe I'm a little bit too poetic on that one. No, but, I agree. Empowering you know, kids to have confidence. Yeah. And, and, and we've been talking all night about giving them a space to express themselves. Yeah. It carries over, you know, into their day-to-day, right? Because right. there's also there's a lot of uh, conflict resolution because they're able to put that somewhere else outside of themselves sometimes. Right. Right. You're not being poetic. You're absolutely. I think it's accurate. You get to wax about it. You know. <laughs> well, you know, there's. I think we sometimes forget as, that you know we were teenagers one day. Yeah. In, in a long for me a very long time ago, but we were teenagers and 
And I love how everyone just, younger than me keeps being afraid to say how old they are. <laughs> <laughs> I graduated high school in 89, okay? So relax. <laughs> but no, I, I, I agree. We, we were all teenagers, and, and yeah. we, I think it's good to... Con- that's why I always ask people where they went to high school. I mean, yeah. that's, that's part of that, mm-hmm. is because that's such a big, formative part of our lives. Yeah, you know, it that's, is. That's why I ask. How can people, uh, as we, want, as we uh, I know, move on to the program in a little bit, how can people support the work that you're doing? So I think the best way of supporting is when you see, you know, information out in, in the streets, right? When you see anything that has to do with the National Museum of Mexican Art, Yolo Cali, to um, reach out and, you know, offer your services however you'd like to help. I mean, the museum always needs volunteers. The school or the program, uh, the Yolo Cali program, always needs um, volunteers, right, as well, and people to teach and be a part of it. Um, and, of course, we can always take monetary donations. <laughs> Um, in-kind donations, whether they're, you know, a gift to the program um, or offering opportunities for labor or, you know, material donations. I mean, we're going to, we've been starting a, a really um, important campaign to try to offset some of the costs. Um, and so soon enough, you'll see a little bit more about that. Outstanding. Thank you so much for uh, having having me host this event and uh, for being able to interview everybody. This is wonderful. It really thank was. Thank you for doing And I look forward to doing, to doing another live broadcast from here. So thank you oh, so much, my friend. Uh, we are going to wind it up. Thank you so much, everybody, back at the station. Uh, Alejandro, thank you. Matt Cummings. Uh, Mike Crutes up next with Devil's Advocates. Everybody, good night.